Hey guys and welcome back to the channel. I'm so, so excited to bring this to you. It's the final ATP Power Rankings for the US Open. We're going to get into it. This, of course, is not the final Power Rankings. This is the Power Rankings, the first edition we did just at the beginning of the US Open series. We're going to update it. I'm going to talk you through my thinking behind it, really, and then we're going to break it down. I genuinely can't wait for this. It's going to be fantastic. And I'm sure a lot of you will not agree. And that's fine because, you know what? That's what makes sport so incredible. People have different opinions. I'm interested to know your guys' top 10 rankings for the US Open. If you haven't watched a power ranking video, we're going to quickly talk about the criteria. Then I'll go through it 1 to 10. And, of course, we'll touch upon Cincinnati last week, Canada, and a lot more as well. Before we get into it, though, remember to hit that like button and subscribe if you're new. And if you're listening on a podcast platform, remember to leave a rating and review, especially on Apple Podcasts. Helps us out a great deal. Thank you to everyone that is still liking the videos, still sharing them, still leaving a review. It helps a huge, huge amount, and we really do appreciate it. Okay, let's get into this. First of all, criteria. So for those of you who might be tuning in and it's your first time on the channel, we do power rankings on here for each Grand Slam. We do a couple of versions of it before the start of a Grand Slam. Now, this is going to be our final one for the US Open. So this is going to be set in stone, cemented for the Grand Slam. And then we'll see how, you know, how the rankings hold up at the US Open. Now, these rankings are, I guess you could say they're like a form guide. We're basing it mainly on form recently so we're taking into account of course the u.s open series that's just happened cincinnati montreal even events like los carbos where medvedev won and nori made the final in mexico other events as well in the last few weeks on the hard courts and then we will also cater in form this year so looking at wimbledon the french open australia a little bit more emphasis on Australia, because it's another hardcore Grand Slam, does play slightly differently, and we'll talk about that in a second. But also looking at Wimbledon and the French Open or Roland Garros, because a lot of players can have a year where their form is higher or lower, and, and they carry momentum throughout the year. And we've seen that with so many different players, right? If your name is not Nadal, Djokovic, or Federer, most likely you're going to be a little bit inconsistent throughout your career year on year. And that's just the way it is because everyone else is human. <laughs> and the third third criteria, the third factor is going to be the form from these players in prior or previous US Open tournaments. So some players might not have ever played a US Open tournament before. If they're that young, they may have only played one or two. We're not going to hold it against them. We're going to say, okay, that's fine. We're then going to place more emphasis on your recent form, your hardcore form. Let's look at that. Uh, but of course, people like Nadal, Medvedev, Kyrgios, and all these guys, they've played a lot of US Opens. They've also won US Opens. So that needs to be factored in as well. But this is that's the tertiary, tertiary category. You know, the main one is to do with form, 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 form. And then we also will factor in, to a degree, historic results. Okay, let's get into it without further ado. So number one. Now, can we keep Rafael Nadal at number one? He has been very good this year, of course, winning the Australian Open, winning the Roland Garros, and the semifinals of Wimbledon had to pull out because of the abdominal. Fine. You know, that, that happens. 
had a really bad injury. Came back this week after a long layoff. So hadn't played since Wimbledon any competitive matches and played Borna Choric. Now, Borna Choric, we know, just won Cincinnati, which means Nadal lost to Borna Choric in his first match in the second round of Cincinnati. And it was a three-setter. He was actually, if I'm not mistaken, he was the only player to take a set of Choric uh, the whole week. And it was a great win for Chorich and for Nadal, a disappointing loss. And actually now Chorich joins Djokovic as one of the only players to have a winning head-to-head. Well, the, one of the only active players to have a winning head-to-head against Rafael Nadal, which is a pretty interesting stat. 3-2. Can we read a lot into it? Not particularly. I think anyone can lose in a first round or second round. I mean, it was his first match because he got a bye in the first round. And especially after a layoff as well, it can happen. Chorich played some inspired tennis and, and clearly, you know, was informed because he went on to win the tournament, beat some incredible players, and we'll talk about that soon. But for Nadal, it was a probably a little bit of a wake-up call to say, okay, we're no longer on the clay anymore. We're no longer on the clay. Uh, we're no longer on the grass. It's a different surface. It's playing differently. And... I need to be close to 100% to really give it a good go uh, and go deep. In saying that, the Australian Open, he had a really long layoff and somehow managed to win the tournament, which is incredible because Australia is the quicker of the two tournaments in terms of speed of court. It's a lot quicker, I would say. The US Open has got quicker over the last few years. And I know a lot of people in the comment section have mentioned that, and I take it on board. It's still slower than Australia. It's still slower than Australia from what I've seen and the stats kind of behind it from the little bit of digging that I did. And it's still slower than Wimbledon. So it's still the third slowest hard course or third quickest, sorry, even third quickest Grand Slam out of the four, of course, Ronan Garros being the slowest. So yes, it's quickened, which is a disadvantage to someone like a Nadal, but it's still not lightning quick like australia if that makes sense and that's kind of how i see that no that is how i see it it may have gone even quicker this year who knows uh but i did hear gil gross talking about it and i tend to agree in a way that cincinnati is probably a better yardstick to how people are, com- are going to perform at the u.s open because it is a little bit quicker than montreal or toronto and the US Open has gone a little bit quicker. So the speed differential or speed difference is a lot less, I think, between the US Open in Cincinnati than the US Open in Canada, which Canada can be a bit slower. I, I get that. And I will be playing or placing even a little bit more importance on Cincinnati, mainly because I think, you know, there will be some people that we will give the benefit of the doubt too, because they had really deep runs at Canada. And I don't think their performances in Cincinnati were reflective of how they're going to potentially do at the US Open or their form. Let's get into it. So Nadal number one, I don't agree with now. Uh, as a Rafa fan, it disappoints me, but that's just the way it is. Medvedev has to be at number one. I mean, he made a semi-finals of the of Cincinnati. He'd won lost Carbos, of course, lost to Kyrgios in Canada, which there's no harm in that or no shame in that because Kyrgios is probably since the start of 
The grass court swing, the most informed player, has a win percentage above 70%. He's been playing some great tennis. We'll talk about him as well because he does make the top 10 and how he got on this week. But Medvedev lost to him when Kyrgios was playing great, great, great tennis. And, you know, one loss, Carbos made the semis of Cincinnati, lost to Sitsipas, who played some inspired tennis as well. Um, really good serve and volley. And it's the only time Medvedev has lost to him on outdoor hard. So, a great win and, of course, a budding rivalry. Great to see between two players of very different styles and different personalities, but one that I think we will see for many years to come, and I hope we do because it's an exciting matchup. It really is. But Medvedev, I think rightly so, given he's a US Open champion, given he won't lost Carbos, given that he's gone deep at Cincinnati this week and you know lost to Kyrgios uh, in, in Canada. I mean, that's, as I said, no shame in that. He's also probably the most suited potentially to the surface, given that it's a bit quicker. He loves uh, the hard courts. He loves this part, this time of year. He peaks for it. The only question mark will potentially be his form in comparison to last year. Maybe not serving as well as he would like. Uh, he's normally an extremely effective server, and he's still very effective, but... I think he'll be slightly concerned that Sitspass made so many returns in that semi-final. That will be something that he'll look into and think, why has that happened? Because normally Sitspass on a you know on a quicker hard court like this or a, a hard court that isn't super, super slow will struggle with the returns because he's not a world-class... Well, he's a world-class. He's not an elite returner. He is someone who you know will return well on the clay, slow, bounce, high bounce... On these hard courts, though, he struggles to hit the returns, especially even the second serve returns, because he doesn't and won't commit to the block return on the second serve. On the first serve, he will, and at times can have some success. But he, his returning is improving since past, but not improving so much that, in my eyes, it should have closed the gap between himself and Medvedev. Uh, some great tactical, I guess you know, thing well, tactical changes that I think Sitspass made against Medvedev, serve and volleying, etc. Just to simplify it, of course, lots of different nuances to that. And yeah, like a great performance, but that's just the one question mark I think around Medvedev is he had, I know, some surgery recently or a procedure done medically, and I'm wondering whether that's hindering his serving at all. And I'm hoping not because he needs to be at probably near to 100%, or, you know, 90% at least to really go deep and win this tournament. But it, it's very open. And that's what's really exciting about the US Open this year. It is open. Number two will be Nadal because I think he rightfully so should stay there given that he's won two out of the three Grand Slams this year, given that he's won the US Open four times. Uh, I mean, look, he lost to Chorich, but there's just such a small sample size to, to base his hardcore form on. But with the big three, you don't really need to have too much to look at in the sense that you know they're going to come in and if they're fully fit, which I think he will only enter if he's fully fit, then they're going to give it a good go and they're going to be extremely dangerous. So I think rightfully so, he's at number two. Then this is where it gets interesting because uh, you know where, where do we now rank these guys? So I had Kyrgios at three, Sinner at four, Alcaraz at five, FA at six, Nori at seven, Sispas at eight, Rublev at nine, it's a 10 that that was my 
my list, right? Now, her catch since has won in Montreal. He also lost to Isner this week, but I think he gets a pass because... Or, yeah, I think he does get a pass because one, Isner's is an incredible server, but not just that. I think he was tied. He played the singles and doubles in Montreal, won both of them. So we'll talk about him, but he will make the list in my eyes. But number three, who do we put in at number three? Do we stick with Kyrgios, who's been in good form, but was a little bit disappointing this week with Fritz. You know, Fritz is a fantastic player and we know how dangerous he can be, especially on hardcore as well. Blew Kyrgios away, really. And I know he was tired and I think he's got a little bit of a niggle as well because at the end of... Uh, at the end of Canada, when, you know, obviously he, he lost in the end, he did say that, you know, he was looking forward to having a rest. And a lot of people thought he might even miss Cincinnati and skip it just to stay ready for the US Open. He didn't. He chose to play it. In the end, losing to Taylor Fritz. And I think, you know, that was probably a good thing to lose earlier on because I think he needed the rest. Um, but he's still very dangerous and a very informed player. But do I put Kyrgios there or do I put Alcaraz, who made the semi-finals? of Cincinnati, played some good tennis, lost to Nori in a very, very tight match. Two tiebreakers and lost a third, 6-4. Uh, Nori getting his first win over Alcaraz. I'm going to go with Kyrgios. I'm going to stick him. I'm going to, I'm going to stick. I'm not going to twist. I'm going to stick. Because I just think, I know Alcaraz made the semifinals and I get that this week, but Given that he lost to Taylor Fritz and given his physical state, I think, and just maybe fatigue, I think that needs to be factored in. Number four, though, is Alcaraz. Uh, it's not going to be Sinner. I know Sinner had a little bit of a run, uh, but ended up losing to Felix in the end. A really, really good win for Felix. We'll talk about him in a second. Uh, but Alcaraz is my number four. Now, Carlos has been probably not as good as a lot of people would have thought in this hardcore swing and that's no that's not disrespectful at all i think it's actually respectful even because people have such high expectations of the youngster and look he is only young and that's why you know he has had these types of results he lost in the first round of course in canada which was a really really you know difficult result for him to take i would imagine and tommy paul did really well in the end. It was an incredible match to watch. And it's one of those ones that you look at it and think, okay, you can lose a thriller like that. It happens. But in Cincinnati, if the same thing happened, then he's moving, you know, he's pummeling, he's pummeling down the rankings for me. Instead, though, he put in some decent performances, beat McDonald and then chilled it in straight sets, made the quarters, sorry, even, uh, not semis of Cincinnati, uh, excuse me. And yeah, so quarterfinals. Now, what are we thinking? Quarterfinals, 7-6, win for Cam Norrie. Very, very tight. Cam Roy makes, makes the semis. He's very tired after the Alcaraz match, I think, and Troy's just playing really well. Uh, a bit fresher and blows Nori off the court. Alcaraz surely stays or, or sticks at four. And he moves up a spot mainly because I don't feel like anyone else should be at four apart from him. Uh, if we take in his form this year as well and how he's played on different surfaces, I don't feel as if anyone else warrants being at four. 
uh, if we're taking the whole year and also the last few weeks into consideration. Uh, and that's why, if I'm being honest, after Medvedev and Nadal, it's so open. And you can have them in any any kind of order or permutation. And it's hard to argue with the selection because you can make arguments for everyone to be in different spots. And that's what I think is really exciting me. And even Nadal, the fact that he lost, the fact that Medvedev lost a sense of pass, it then opens it up even more. And that's what I want. That's what I want. I want... I want a US Open, which is going to be highly competitive. We're going to see really close matches. And I feel like that's what we're going to get. I feel like that's what this is leading towards. We shall see. So our crowd's at number four. Now, number five. Who are we going to pick at number five? We've got a few options. A few options, sorry, even. Um, it's an interesting one because Yannick Sinner was in my power rankings. I'm not sure whether he's going to stay there because he was at four. And this is, of course, before... This is after the Croatia Open where he beat Alcaraz in the final. He lost to Pablo Krena Busta in the round of 16, uh, who ended up winning Montreal, and then lost to Felix. Did beat Kokinakas and Ketmanovic. Uh, Kokinakas, that was a really close match. Uh, won 8-6 in the tiebreaker in the third set. Um, that was a, a marathon of match. And then Felix lost in three sets. Watched that match and uh, did a commentary on Felix was playing some good tennis, but I think Sinner will be disappointed to lose the second set tiebreak after taking the first set at 6-2. Uh, Felix turned it around though nicely, breadsticking him in the third set. So number five is an interesting one. I'm going to go with Cam Nori, actually. I'm going to go with Cam Nori. Now, you might say that is a pretty, pretty big one. And actually, are we going to go with Cam Nori? You know what? We're gonna we are going to reward Stefano Tsitsipas. We're gonna reward him because I I do think after losing to Jack Draper, after using to Draper in the Canadian Open, I was very skeptical. I was thinking, okay, Tsitsipas has gone off the boil a little bit, and he's had a very very interesting year. I would say it's not one that I feel he's made a lot of improvements in. The only thing that I could point towards is I think in the grass court swing, he played a lot of grass match, grass court matches. I could see improvements. I know he lost early in the end at Wimbledon, but that was because he played Kyrgios, who's just pretty good <laughs> and made the final. Uh, and there was no harm in that. And he put up a good display as well. So some improvements there. And the returning has and is slowly improving. But since pass at five for me is definitely... I think warranted. Lost a Draper in Canada, but then redeemed himself really nicely in Canada. Sorry, in Cincinnati even. I mean, the wins, look at this. Krajanovic in straight sets, Schwartzman in straight sets, Isler in three, Medvedev in three, and then, of course, lost to Trich in the final. A little bit disinterested after uh, the first set loss and lost a tiebreaker seven love. That There's a couple of red flags there because he definitely wasn't... Um, he definitely wasn't chasing balls at times. He was just leaving them. There are, there are a few rallies where Troich was hitting a backhand on the line or forehand on the line, and he didn't hit a spot. So it ended up being kind of almost central. And Sitspass had been dragged out, and he just didn't bother going for the ball. He just let it go past him. Like, it, it watched it go past him. And I was just thinking, this is bizarre. Uh, this is the type of thing you might see in club level tennis when someone isn't particularly fit uh, or they're just, you know, 
they're fed up. And, and it was almost as if he was a little bit fed up with the situation. His dad was talking to him a lot as well. In the corner, of course, on-court coaching is allowed now. And I, you know, they, they were showing it a lot. And he was talking to Sitzpass a lot. Sitzpass wasn't really responding at all. He was kind of just listening. He's got Mark Filippoussis in his... Well, I was going to say corner like it's a boxing match. But in his box, he was pretty quiet for periods of it. Where, and his dad was speaking. It's almost as if his dad's got a bit too much power to kind of just speak whenever he wants. Um, and Sitsipas, I'm not sure whether he should still be having his dad in the box, honestly, because it seems to do him more harm than good. Uh, he was speaking a lot, and, and really, as soon as he started speaking a lot, it was almost as if Sitsipas was like, you know what, I'm going to rebel against you. Like, you know, like he'd kind of gone back to being a teenager. I'm going to rebel against you, and um, I'm not going to listen to you. I'm just going to almost... I don't think he tanked the match, but there was definitely some points where he just gave up. Was like, okay. Yeah, too good, whatever. Yeah, cool. It, it, there definitely was. There was a lack of effort. And that's weird because I think Sissipas generally is very good when it comes to that. He doesn't just throw in the towel. He does try and fight. So that was a bit disappointing to see. Uh, but I don't think we'll see the same with the US Open, to be fair. I think he will. Maybe he needed to get that out of his system. Maybe it was a long time coming. Just got it out of the way. And hopefully we'll see him back to near his best um, come the US Open, but it was a really, really good week. And I think the whenever many of I can't exaggerate enough what a big win this is because he had a 7-2 losing head-to-head against Medvedev going into that match, had never won an outdoor hard ma- hardcourt match against Medvedev, only won the single indoor hardcourt match, which was in the ATP Tour Finals where he beat Medvedev fine. Indoor hard, though, very different to outdoor hard in a way. And Medvedev, of course, had just blown Sitspass away in hardcourts generally. And the gap just seemed too big in terms of ability and quality. Sitspass has a similar hold on Medvedev on clay courts, but this will be a massive, massive, I think, mental boost for Sitspass to get the win over Medvedev the way he did, the way he served and volleyed. I, I loved it. I was really enjoying watching it. I think the way that he was setting up the points was uh, point construction was really, really good, intelligent, and uh, was happy to trade forehand to forehand, happy to come to the net at the right times. Didn't I didn't wasn't cautious on the approaches, and I talked about that in my preview for the semifinals. I said he can't be cautious approaching the net, and he wasn't. He committed to it. If you miss, sometimes you miss. That can happen, but generally was very, very good with it. So that to me was a good and positive sign. For sure. Um, what I would also say is <sighs> Sissipas, the backhand side is something to keep an eye out on because he was slicing a lot to Medvedev. And I think Medvedev, because he doesn't hit so big generally, you can almost get away with slicing to his backhand because he won't hit a lot of winners off it. He'll just say, okay, I'm going to hit good enough backhand deep you know change direction and i'll try and kind of be in the front on the front foot and he he does win a lot of rallies almost in neutral well i guess almost like aggressive neutral if there was a a mode in between neutral and aggressive that's kind of where i feel like medvedev is always rallying at for sitsipas though against other players that's not going to be good enough at times and chorich i think exposed that and 
I have said that the floated backhand slice is just not good enough. He needs to really, he needs to commit. To, uh, I don't know about committing to it, but I just feel that it's something that Patrick Moratoglu apparently has worked on with his past for a long time, but doesn't seem to have improved at all. And it's a strange one because it's something that you would expect someone at that level to have a better backhand slice, especially if you're going to utilize it a lot and you have a one-hander. So I'm hoping he'll continue to try and improve it, or at least will improve it. But the US Open, the reason why I have him at five and not any higher is because I don't see him potentially making a semi-final or a final because I feel like that is a big, big question mark. And depends on his draw, of course, but he's at five. Number six, then, do we stick with FAA there? And it's an interesting one because, you know, Felix has had some really good wins in the last couple of weeks, beat Cam Nori after he lost to him and lost Carbos, and then lost to a very inspired Torrid. So beat Dimina this week and Sinner, great wins. And Canada beat Nishioka, Nori, and then lost to Rude. So we had the quarterfinals in both tournaments. What, what are we thinking? I mean, it, does that warrant being at number six? Or do we go with Cam Nori, who I guess made, what, the round of 16, losing to Felix, and then made the semifinals? He had wins over Nakashima, Van der Zand, Schulp, Okay. Pete Alcraz, that's a big one. Murray, Shelton, Rune. I think wins-wise, Felix has got the better and notable wins. So I'm going to stick with Felix at six. And I think he, I have pretty, not high expectations, but reasonably, reasonably high expectations for the US Open. He's been really good at the slams, uh, of course, and made the semifinals last year, lost to Medvedev, and, and obviously Medvedev went on to win it in the end. His game, I think, was almost turned upside down after... Tony Nadal joined and the whole point of Tony Nadal joining was to improve his game but especially on clay and he did because he did well at the French Open won his first ever match there, and then ran Rafael Nadal very close in five sets in the round of 16 match so made a deeper run there and generally in the clay court swing was much better however we got to Wimbledon lost in the first round to Maxime Cressy and you're thinking okay that's a really bad matchup but not a great loss of course and generally, I think his forehand was tinkered a little bit in the sense that he was hitting with more coverage over the net, a lot more topspin, less kind of flatter, sniper-like precision and, and pace through the court, which you would normally expect to see and want to see on a hard court or a, or a grass court. And I think he was struggling to switch between the two and not just switch, but actually utilize both types of styles uh, when he needs to, because you can use both and, and skip between the two and you should have different looks in a forehand on all surfaces it's just how like for example you're going to utilize the flatter forehand more on a quicker court than you would on a slower court but you still might need to go to the more conservative a higher coverage over the net you know higher topspin forehand when you're defensively trying to get in to stay in the rally when you're trying to you know, make a lot more balls and then get forward to get that shorter ball to then step in. So there's a lot of different things that you can utilize and different ways that you can use a forehand and a backhand, for example, as well with the backhand slice, of course. So, you know, when are you going to use a backhand slice? You're going to use that a lot more 
on a quicker, lower bouncing court. On a clay court, you probably won't use it as much or you shouldn't really be using it as much because it's not going to be as effective. So that's something that I think he was def having to combat and having to adjust to a new coach, a new kind of tinker in his playing style. And I think now it's come to fruition. I think now he's got to the stage where he's comfortable with how he should be playing on different surfaces. And I feel like if he gets a decent draw, he may even be able to make a semi-final again. Uh, I can't see him making a final. I can see him making a final of a Grand Slam in the next two years. Whether he wins it or not remains to be seen, I don't know. But he's definitely promising. Um, his counterpart and someone who has been, I guess, built alongside him uh, as someone who you know, might be able to win slams as well or is just as talented and highly thought of was Shapovalov, but he's not even anywhere near this list because his form has been pretty atrocious. This week, however, he did do better. So quick shout out to him because, um, you know, his playing style is very exciting. We want to see that beat Dimitrov in a good match and end up losing in the end to Medvedev, who, you know, there's no harm or no shame in losing to him. Well, let's wrap up the rest of them because uh, I think I'm going on a long time, aren't I? Number seven. Number seven, I think, will be Cam Norrie. We'll stick with him because some good wins, as I said. Murray, uh, Felix last week, and Alcaraz is a great win, I have to say. So he's so consistent. He is Mr. Consistent uh, for me. And I can see him making a round of 16 a quarterfinal. And who knows, even maybe a semifinal. He continues to impress and surprise me. The semifinal at Wimbledon. You know, the way that he made it, I thought was impressive. Didn't really play anyone of note, I have to say, but that's not his fault. You can only play who's in front of you. Did take a set of Djokovic. I don't know how much bearing that really has on someone's form or performance because Djokovic tends to potentially lose a set nowadays uh, when he's trying to adjust to someone, uh, when he hasn't played them much. And that's what that seemed. But Nori is a a player and a proponent of his hard work. Uh, his results are a result. <laughs> excuse the pun. His results are a consequence of his extremely, extremely impressive work ethic, and also someone who's squeezing the most out of his talent. And I feel like that's exactly what Nori is doing. And wish him nothing but the best. I don't think, you know, who knows? Maybe he will win the slam. I, I can't see it happening. But in saying that. I think he has a lot to say at, on who is going to win slams because he's the type of player that is quite tricky to play against and he will, you know, win perceived or he will have and cause perceived upsets against some of the bigger players just because of his level of consistency and, and a lot of players struggle with that uh, and also the fact that he's a lefty and uh, has such a flat backhand in comparison to his forehand. Uh, makes it even more interesting. And his serving is much improved as well. Number eight, I'm going to go with her cat. I think, you know, the win in Canada was really impressive to me. And I know that he lost early on in Cincinnati. But again, losing the first round or second round because he got a bye to Isner, he would have been very, very tired. Uh, and sorry, he made the final even. Sorry, excuse my French. Made the final of the men's singles title and um, won the doubles and then made the final and lost to Pablo Corona Busta. 
beat Rusevori, Ramos Vanolas, Nick Kyrgios, who Kyrgios seems to have problems with her catcher's game, interestingly. And that's one player I would say I think has a little bit of, yeah, just a little bit of a mental edge, maybe. Casper uh, Rudin, three sets, good win for her catch there. And then Pablo Crenabusta, great. I mean, he played out of his skin for that final. Uh, Cincinnati, yeah, lots of John Isner. So her catch at eight for me. Number nine, I'm going to go with Taylor Fritz. I think Taylor Fritz is someone who, you know, I, I didn't, I wasn't thinking about maybe having him in my power rankings in the first edition, but he keeps on providing me with, you know, basically egg on my face, uh, which I'm happy to, I'm happy to take. Beat Murray, TFO, and lost to Dan Evans in the Canadian Open. Great win for Evan, by the way, then. Tight one in three sets. Beat Baez, Kyrgios, Rublev. Great win there as well. And lost to Medvedev. I mean, no harm in that. Fritz, for me, at number nine, is a pretty solid choice. Won Indian Wells earlier in the week, early in the week, early in the year. And again, if he's fully fit, he's a massive server, power baseliner. He's dangerous, needs to work a little bit on his forecourt game, coming to the net uh, and transitioning. But generally, he is an exciting player to watch. And I think he does enjoy playing at home as well. So uh, Fritz at nine. Ten is a difficult one because you can give it to a few players. You could look at Chorich, for example, and say, well, hold on. Chorich won Cincinnati. Should he not be in there for Zan? Now, I think apart from Cincinnati, he hasn't done anything this year. I think that's the issue. Now, he will be seeded, by the way, at the US Open, which is incredible. Like, I'm really, really happy for him. Uh, but he lost in the first round of of the Canadian Open to Chilich in straight sets. Uh, and before that, he played the German Open, uh, lost in the quarterfinals, a walkover uh, to Molkan, and was playing some challenges as well. Lost in, in Wimbledon. Uh, well, he got cancelled because he got injured. So, look, I mean, we can look at his results, though. Why don't we quickly go through the Massetti, great win, Nadal, three-setter, won that, RBA straights. Felix Straits, Nori Straits, and then since pass, I mean, blew him away in the final, honestly. Uh, so it was impressive. And he's been number 12 in the world before. His serve has somehow become really big, and I'm all for it. His backhand is, all, I'd say, probably is elite, a forehand inconsistent, but, you know, when it's on, it's on. So for me, he's dangerous. You could have him in there, and I wouldn't argue too much against it. But I'm going to go with someone who's had more kind of consistent results this year and also someone who has had good US Open results as well, making two semifinals in the past. Also won Canada this year, beating her catch in the final, beating Dan Evans, Draper, Sinner, Rune and Berrettini on the way to the final. On top of also, uh, you know, losing to Kate Marich in the first round of Cincinnati, is there really much to talk about in that? Not really, because he would have been extremely tired. I'm going to go with PCB. Uh, Pablo Carena Busta. Now, I think he warrants it. Two US Open semifinals, a, a really good win in Canada. You might also say, hold on, what about Casper Ruud? Casper Ruud's had some good results this year. Uh, of course, made the final of the French Open. Different surface, but also in the semifinals of Canada. Right, Lost in the first round, though, to Ben Shelton. Uh, that's you know, a little bit of a a cross against his name, unfortunately, uh, but did beat Felix in Canada, beat Molkan, RBA, uh, lost to her catch. I mean, that's, you know, that's not a terrible 
run of results. I just think PCB probably a little bit more in form. And Berrettini, someone who you would have thought, hold on, Berrettini should be in there. But his results have not really reflected where I think he should be come the US Open. And uh, lost to TFO in a Cincinnati in the first round. TFO with a fantastic win there. I mean, it was, a, it was a great match. And also lost in the first round to Pablo Crenobusta. His ranking, I'm sure, will take some sort of dip. Uh, the US Open, though, is a tournament where he should have some success. So uh, he is someone to keep an eye out for. I don't think he's going to be losing the first round, but you don't know. I'm lost in the quarters to Djokovic in four sets, but had a pretty easy run there being the sixth seed. So he's not as highly seeded at the US Open. He could get someone dangerous, but you know what? He's dangerous himself. And um, we'll talk more about him in the US Open preview. Guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Remember to hit the like button and subscribe if you're new. Leave a rating review if you're listening on a podcast platform. We are also going to be doing... Um, us open contender videos so it's like a player profile about five minutes long probably and i'll go through a few of the players that i think are contenders for the us open and give you guys a little bit of a fact file on them which i think will be quite interesting to do something new and fresh i'll also be doing of course a draw preview and predictions for uh, both the men's and the women's for when the draw is released um, later this week on top of that we will be doing a collaboration with someone else as well so doing a preview with uh, another channel which i'll release here and to add to that of course uh, we will also be doing um and wta power rankings ranking so keep an eye out for that we'll release that later today thanks so much guys stay safe and well we'll see you on the next video